0: This is Deacon Greg sharing walking in the way of love. Bless. Today I'm sharing yesterday's sermon from Father T.J. Humphrey from St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Beloit. Again, we are blessed by his wisdom and his words. Seeing a fig tree by the road, Jesus went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. Once upon a time, there was a monk named Simeon, who lived in a monastery with his bestest pal, John, not too far from the Dead Sea. In fact, he and John, they'd actually met each other on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. While they were there, they hit it off, so much so that they decided to abandon everything, their former lives and everything, and enter the monastic life together. Who says dreams don't come true? (laughs) For the longest time, neither one showed any sign of wavering from the decision they had made, and they seemed to love being a part of the religious community that they had joined. But one day, after 31, yes, 31 years, Simeon said to John, What do we gain, brother, by spending our days and our nights in this desert? Yeah, I think I'm going to go now. (laughs) Would you like to come? John was completely shocked and dismayed by Simeon's words. Why wouldn't he be? And why on earth would he want to leave after, especially after all of this time invested? But Simeon's only response was: In the power of Christ, I must go and mock the world. And even though John tried his hardest to dissuade his friend, he failed. And Simeon set out for Syria. The day after he arrived at the town of Emesa, Simeon went into a church and started hurling nuts at the priest during the Eucharist. Don't get any ideas now when we get back together in person. The priest, of course, tried to pretend as if nothing were happening, but that didn't work. And eventually a group of people tried to chase Simeon out of the sanctuary. With an angry mob of church folk hot on his tail, Simeon, instead of running out the door, ran up into the pulpit, and began chucking nuts at all of the parishioners who were still seated in the front rows. And this, my friends, is why you don't want to sit in the front rows. (laughs) Now keep in mind, probably the most humorous thing of all of this, is that Simeon was still dressed up as a monk while he was doing all of these things. And he would go on to do other bizarre things, unabashedly living in to his sense of calling. He truly did mock the world. During Holy Week, he broke church rules by walking down the street and eating meat in public while everybody else in town was trying to fast. And another time, a merchant hired him to look after his food stall. But the moment the merchant walked away, Simeon distributed all of the merchant's food and drink to the poor for free. And there's another time when Simeon ran down the street, yes, still dressed as a monk, and began to overturn the food stalls that he saw there with the hopes that the nearby beggars would be able to grab some of the stuff that fell to the ground. The merchants, though, they chased him down, and they beat him so badly that he nearly died. And not too long after this incident, is perhaps my favorite story of all, a deacon found Simeon sleeping on the streets. It was clear from the stench that he hadn't bathed in several weeks, and the compassionate deacon gave Simeon some food and said, "Come along now. Let me help you to the bathhouse." Great idea, Simeon replied. And he got up. He stripped off all of his monk robes in the middle of the street, tied them around his he- and tied them around his head like a turban. "Let us go now, good deacon," he said, as he started off down the road completely naked. While Simeon played the part of the holy fool for Christ. Many people remembered him as a man who was truly steeped in prayer and wisdom. The marginalized people of the town all gravitated towards him. They saw him as somebody who was on their side, someone who openly mocked the systems that kept them marginalized, kept them pressed down. He was like a monkish Robin Hood Hood in their eyes. So while church people and clergy people and business people all saw him as a raving lunatic, Those who were oppressed by church people and clergy people and business people all saw Simeon as a sage. And a select few were given the opportunity to see him as the saint that he truly was. The same deacon who fed and accompanied a naked Simeon to the bathhouse also stumbled upon him praying one night, this time clothed. He said that Simeon was so luminous with the glory of God that he couldn't even bear to look upon him. Simeon was a saint who guised himself as a holy fool in order to punch a hole straight through the conventional wisdom and the unquestioned cultural assumptions of his time. In the power of Christ, I must go and mock the world. Friends, if we wish to understand the gospel story for today, we would be wise to let Simeon's life shed some light on it for us. Just as Simeon defied the conventional wisdom and the cultural assumptions of his day, Jesus did likewise. Now, many call the story that we heard about in the gospel reading uh, today the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, but I feel that this is a weird and misguided title for it, because in entering Jerusalem and the temple in this manner, Jesus was mocking the world. You see, each year at Passover, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, would ride into the city. It was a very different kind of entry than Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, that's for sure. There would have been imperial cavalry and foot soldiers escorting Pilate. It would have been a true display of imperial power, weapons and helmets and armor and shields, the rumble of horse hooves and marching feet, the beating of war drums. Pilate came with his battalion at this time every year because the Hebrew people had a history of revolting against Rome during this time of year, this time of Passover. If you recall, Passover was the time when the Hebrew people remembered and celebrated their liberation from another imperial power, that of Pharaoh, that of Egypt. But Pilate's procession of power was an act of cultural suppression, A painful reminder to the Hebrew people of who was really in charge of the land that they lived in, the land that they called their home. But in rides Jesus, like a political bull in the China cabinet. It is very likely that he processed into Jerusalem on the exact same day as Pontius Pilate, but from the opposite side of the city. And instead of galloping in on war horses, Jesus rode in on a donkey. There was no military accompanying him, no foot soldiers, no weapons, no banging of war drums. And Jesus's entry couldn't have been any more peaceful and non-threatening. But it was enough of a spectacle where everybody, every got, everybody got its meaning. Matthew tells us that the whole city was in turmoil because of Jesus's actions. Why? Because Jesus was coming in as the anti-pilot. Jesus's entry was the anti-triumphal entry, the anti-imperial entry. Everybody knew that Jesus was openly mocking Pilate and the empire that he represented. In other words, it was Jesus's way of throwing nuts at the imperial powers that be. While it certainly infuriated those who benefited from Rome, Those who were oppressed by Rome, which was most everybody then, ate it up and sang out Hosanna. But then, as if this wasn't radical enough or foolish enough, Jesus went straight for the jugular of injustice, straight to the temple. And once he got to the temple, he started flipping over tables of those who were selling doves, all the while flinging insults at the clergy, He said that the temple was meant to be a house of prayer for the nations, but the clergy had turned it into a den of robbers. Now, it wasn't the activity of the salesmen or the money changers that he was condemning, even though they certainly wouldn't have appreciated his little stunt in the slightest. No, Jesus was calling out the corrupt temple clergy, particularly the high priesthood. These priests, they were in cahoots with the Roman government at that time. In fact, these high priests, during those times, they were appointed by the Roman governor to help rule over the Hebrew people, to keep them at bay. These priests were given wealth and power by politicians like Pontius Pilate for their allegiance to Rome, and they could only maintain their positions of power and their wealth as long as their rule pleased Rome. Jesus's form of temple activism was an outright condemnation of the ways his religion had gotten into bed with imperial politics. His outrage was over how his religion had let itself become a puppet of the state's politics, a parrot of the state's propaganda. Now to be very clear, it's not as though Jesus was upset because he believed that religion and politics were two separate realms that needed to remain separate. If you remember, Jesus' central message was that of a kingdom, after all, and he taught all of his followers to pray for that kingdom to come. What Jesus was so upset about was that his religion had embraced and embodied the wrong type of politics a political vision that was contrary to God's dream for the world. What Jesus was upset about was that the leaders of his religion had embraced a political vision that felt no qualms whatsoever about crucifying its enemies in public, or about abandoning the nation's most vulnerable people during times of pandemic. One of the earliest bishops wrote that during a horrible pandemic, the Romans— had pushed the sufferers away and fled from their loved ones, throwing them into the roads before they were even dead. But the early Christians cared not only for their own family members and church folks, but for all who were left to die by themselves on the streets. And Jesus was cursing a political vision that had co-opted his religion, a vision that left the poor and the hungry to utterly fend for themselves. Even Emperor Julian would go on to note how much better the church was at caring for the poor than his own empire. And the church was just a fledgling little movement in comparison to the behemoth that was Julian's empire during those days. And Jesus was calling out how certain people, like high priests, had used religion and politics for economic gain, while their fellow countrymen were crushed under the wheels of injustice. Jesus knew that his nation could never be great again if it was only great for some and not for all. A nation that is not great for everyone is a nation that is not great for anyone. My friends, until the religion that bears Jesus' name in this country understands this, Understands that Jesus' kingdom openly mocks Caesar's. Our tables will remain overturned on the floors of our places of worship. And Jesus' shouts for justice will drown out all of our prayers to the Father. And our clergy will continue to be seen as nothing more than leaders who rob and abuse the people in the name of the empire and the masses who are outside of our temples will rally around a savior on a donkey, and they will beg him to save them from the church. As long as Christians continue to bow their heads to Caesar and embrace his teaching as their own, the church's presence in this country, it'll be nothing more than the withering of the fig tree. Seeing a fig tree by the road, Jesus went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. Thank you for joining me on my walk in the way of love. Until next time, May you stay safe and healthy, and let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord.